Well, last week, as you know, we started in heaven, and today we're going to go a little further. There wasn't a lot of specifics last week. We'll get into more specifics this week. And next week, we will be going over the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. But today, we're going to talk about the eternal heaven. And as I said last week, Spurgeon had this great quote. We will, so, we will soon know more of heaven than all the Christian scholars can tell us. Because we'll be there. Now, just last Tuesday, the 6th of June, I read an article quoting from everybody's favorite theological treasure house, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> on his beliefs about heaven. Here's his quote. It reminds me of Howard Stern's question to me. There's another guy to go to for a lot of depth. Tell me, Governor, what happens to us when we die? I said, nothing. You're six foot under. Anyone that tells you something else is a, and then he used an expletive that you shouldn't be using, liar. Schwarzenegger said, except in some fantasy. He also replied, when people talk about, I will see them again in heaven, it sounds so good, but the reality is we will not see each other again after we're gone. That's the sad part. And here's the telling sign. He said, I know people feel comfortable with death, but I don't. Hmm. So all these people are wrong. They're liars. But I don't feel comfortable with it. He had no answer. It's extremely telling that he can call out anyone a liar who believes what God says about heaven. And then in the next sentence, he says he has no idea. We are hearing from a fool. From a fool. Sadly, he will know the truth pretty soon. He's 75 years old. He and his friend, Danny DeVito, who was there, is in lockstep with him. Said the same thing, basically. Randy Alcorn stated this. He said, grasping what the Bible says about heaven shifts our center of gravity and radically alters our perspective on life. To quote again from Jesus' prayer to the Father in John 17, 24, says, Father, I desire that they also, this is Jesus' desire, I desire also that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's the desire of Jesus Christ. And when Paul told us in Romans 12, 12, to rejoice in hope, he was referring to our hope of heaven. Now the hope of heaven should bring joy to our hearts. Because Paul wrote in Philippians 
1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can death be gainful? Because of the assurance of heaven. Randy Alcorn stated that for the believer, death is the gateway to ever-ending joy. Now you compare that to the guy we talked about last week, who as a minister said, I don't know, heaven gets me depressed because I can think of just sitting on clouds and strumming harps. He was a fool too. So, where is heaven? As we talked last week, heaven is a physical place. We can't go to Google Maps or chart directions to it, but it is a place where God dwells with his angels. It is not an ethereal location. It is physical. But where? Most of us, if you would say, where's heaven? We'd go, we'd look up. Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, 2. When Jesus left to go back to heaven, he ascended, which is up. And when the angels told the disciples in Acts 1.11 that the same Jesus who was taken up will come down in like manner as you have seen him go, we think of up. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says we will be caught up. And many other passages refer to heaven as being up. Now when you think about that, that can get a little confusing. Because as we sit here during a day, everyone here knows what direction up is. Right? But the earth is a sphere. Our up is completely a different direction from the up of a person living in Israel. Or Australia. So up is not a specific direction you can view on a compass. Where is up? It is in what Paul called the third heaven, outside of the universe that God created. Now, the size of our universe is staggering would be a fair word. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. That's pretty fast. That's just under 5.9 trillion miles a year. Some 11 years ago, I looked up an estimate of the width of the universe. This is 11 years ago. And I read that it was 27.4 billion light years across. That last week, I looked it up again. Guess what? Wikipedia, and another site as well, said, quote, the approximate size of the observable universe is... 93 billion light years in diameter at the present day. So it went from 27 billion to 93 billion in 11 years. They don't have a clue, folks. There's a little difference between 27 and 93 billion. So basically, no one really knows the diameter of the universe because that's just at the present day. Go back 11 years from now, see what it is then. But to get some idea, if it was 93 billion light years, that's 5.4 
times 10 to the 23rd power. It would take 93 billion years to go from one side to the other while traveling constantly at 186,000 miles per second. And getting there would not get you to heaven. It's outside of that. Remember, heaven is where God resides. Heaven is where God resides. And God resided in heaven before he created the heavens. This thing is going to give me a little trouble, isn't it? God resided there before he created the universe where we are living. In Genesis 1.1, we have the recorded beginning of the heavens and the earth. But it is not the beginning of the dwelling place of God. It's not the beginning of his heaven. And this is fun to think about, for me anyway. When we think about the massive size of the universe, there are a couple very intriguing statements in Scripture on how far away heaven is. While hanging on the cross, Jesus said to the thief next to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You don't have to go 93 billion years plus a little bit. 1 Corinthians 5.52 says this. 15.52. Thank you. It says that we are changed in the twinkling of an eye. How fast is that? How fast is a twinkle? It's faster than a blink, actually, when you read it. It's the time it takes for the light to flash off your pupil. Instant. So we can go to that place instantly. Wherever heaven is, God can transport us there instantly. Well, I don't know how it works. But it's sure fun to think about. How far away is heaven? Doesn't matter. Does God dwell in a different dimension? It doesn't matter. Because we're going to go there in a twinkle. So how large is heaven? God is infinite and he resides in heaven. So how big is heaven? It's beyond outside this universe that we really can't measure. We are captive, as we all know, to a time-space mentality. We cannot conceive of endless, eternal heaven. The Bible tells us that the material universe as we know it will pass away. Revelation 21.1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and the first heaven, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And when God recreates it, the earth will be a focal point. The old earth is where he created man, and his plan of redemption took place. It is here on this earth that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to live and dwell among us and spill his blood to redeem his people. It was here on this earth that Jesus came. It was here that in Second Peter, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once 
for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring to uh, bring us to God, putting to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So what is heaven like? We can't get as specific as we would like because God hasn't told us. First, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And part of this new is will uh, part of this new earth and new heaven will be the new Jerusalem and we'll talk more about that next week. We can't get it all in this session unless you want to stay till about 2:30 and then we can do it. The first thing we see in heaven is the throne of God. Turn, if you would, to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. And Ezekiel documents for us a vision that he had of the throne of God. Now, getting a crystal clear picture or understanding about what is told us in Ezekiel 21 is extremely difficult. I might even say impossible. Because the subject matter that's being described is really indescribable. The vision that God gave Ezekiel, Ezekiel saw something that is far beyond anything he could relate to. And John experienced something similar when he wrote in the book of Revelation. But even though it's tough to relate to, it's still very worthwhile to look at it and get a small glimpse, a peek, of what awaits those who have been redeemed. Starting in verse 4 and going through verse 28, this is Ezekiel's vision of the glory in the throne of God. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great and a great cloud, and brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, a gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. Now, as we read through this, you'll notice you'll hear the word likeness, appearance, like, all the time because he was trying to relate it to something he could relate to. It's not, it's not a human. Something like a human likeness. Something, as it were, gleaming metal. Oh, he didn't know what it was. But you'll see that all the way through here. Going on. <clears throat> and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness. But each had four faces. And each of them had four wings, and their legs were straight. And the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces in their wings thus. The wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, and the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings. 
each of which touched the wing of another while two covered their bodies and each went straight forward wherever the spirit would go they went without turning as they went as for the likeness of the living creatures their appearance was like burning coals of fire like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures and the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning now as i looked at the living creatures i saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures each each one of them for each one the four of them as for the appearance of the wheels and their construction their appearance was like the gleaming of burl now burl can be various colors it can be blue green yellow or pink okay and the four had the same likeness their appearance in construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel and when they went they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went and their rims were tall and awesome and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around and when the living creatures went the wheels went beside them and when the living creatures rose from the earth the wheels rose wherever the spirits wanted to go they went and the wheels rose along with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels when those went these went and when those stood these stood and when those rose from the earth the wheels rose along with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels over the head of the living creatures there was the lightness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads and under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight one toward another and each creature had two wings covering its body and when they went i heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters you ever been to the ocean it can make some noise it's like that like the sound of the almighty a sound of tumult tumult is by the way i looked it up just to see what it means it's a disorderly agitation usually with uproar and confusion of voices like the sound of an army and when they stood still they let down their wings and there came a voice from above the expanse in their head when they stood still they let down their wings and above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire which is blue and they seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness with a human appearance and upward from what had the appearance of his waist i saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around and downward from what had the appearance of his waist i saw as it were the appearance of fire and there was a brightness around him like the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain so was the appearance of the brightness all around such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the lord and when i saw it i fell on my face and i heard the voice of one speaking 
Anybody want to draw that? Where's the motorcycle? <laughs> what Ezekiel is describing is the throne of God in heaven. Now, there are a lot of commentaries written on Ezekiel, and a whole lot of them try to make meanings out of everything in here. But in the end, what scholars have to say, well, I think this means this, and this might mean this, and this might mean that. What Ezekiel is seeing is indescribable. And anyone witnessing that would really know the, the true meaning of the word awesome. One thing I have never seen, and I looked a little bit, is a good artist's description of the scene. You can go out and look at it. YouTube it. Google it. Oh, yeah, all these pictures, and boy, they're n none of them are alike. Where would you start? I even saw some videos of it. You know, guys would make this stuff up. And, you know, it's... How do you do that? Where would you begin to draw or paint what Ezekiel just described? What does it all mean? I don't know. And even Ezekiel was at a loss when he saw it. Can you begin to imagine the complete awe that Ezekiel would have felt? He's seeing something that no one had ever seen. I read something years ago where I said, well, what Ezekiel is describing there is a helicopter. I don't think so. In trying to find some symbolism of the vision, some have stated, and it's possible, that the lion refers to majesty and power, the head of the lion, and the man intelligence and will, and the ox servants, service, and the eagle judgment and discernment. That could be, but I wouldn't get too caught up in trying to symbolize everything and all that Ezekiel saw. Describing something this incredible Something that you had never seen or imagined would be extremely difficult. And that's about as far as we can go. As far as I can go. But Ezekiel did his best under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us some of this utterly fantastic picture. He was describing things that included, if you notice when we were reading through that, like, likeness, appearance. This is like this. This is like that. This was like that. And Ezekiel used that. He was trying to compare what he saw with what he could relate to. And John, the Apostle John, will use a lot of that same like when he gives us his descriptions in the book of Revelation. But here the work in likeness is used. Just real quickly here. Verse 5. The likeness of four living creatures. Verse 5, human likeness. Verse 7, feet like the soles of a calf's foot. Verse 8, it sparkled like burnished bronze. Verse 10, likeness on the faces as a human. Verse 13, the likeness of the living creatures. They were like burning coals of fire. You ever seen a creature that looked like an alive, something that was alive that looked like a burning coal of fire? I haven't. Like torches moving to and fro. 
Verse 14, living creatures darted like the appearance of lightning. I love to watch lightning shows. They're much better than any fireworks display ever. Right? That scares my dog half to death. But I like watching them. You know? And this was like that, only probably a whole lot better. Wheels like gleaming burl. What's burl? Burl is beryllium aluminum cyclosiliate. And I pronounced that without even going to a geology class in a long time. Pure burl is colorless, but is frequently tinted by impurities. That's why I said colors can be green or blue or yellow or red or white or aquamarine. An emerald is a green burl. A ruby, a red burl is called a scarlet emerald. We don't know what color it was, but it's pretty incredible. And then the appearance of a wheel within a wheel in verse 16. Let's see if I can turn the page on this thing. Again, it's not showing up here on my screen, so... Um, You have it in your notes. Verse 24, like the sound of many waters, the Almighty, like an army. Verse 26, it looked like a throne. Verse 26, like sapphire. Sapphire is a blue gemstone, mineral aluminum oxide. If it were red, it would be a ruby. Trace elements of a sapphire can give off yellow, pink, purple, orange, or green. Then we had likeness of a, with a human appearance. As it were, gleaming metal in verse 27. And the appearance of fire in verse 27. Like a rainbow in verse 28. All of these together were the, all of these together were the appearance and the likeness of the glory of the Lord. From this we get a small glimpse, a small peek into the sovereignty of God, into the majesty of God, into the glory of God. The other thing we see is there is all this stuff was going on, but there was order to it. There was symmetry to it. There was beauty to it. And this is just a picture of the glory of God. Everything, everything that Ezekiel saw was in perfect order and perfect harmony with all of the other parts. It's like a concert orchestra where every instrument is playing their own part. And how people write orchestrations, you know, I know a little bit about it, but I know I could never even come close to doing it. All the instruments provide this glorious music when they come together. If you just took one instrument by itself, it wouldn't be that way. But you put it all together and you got this music. And here we have this <clears throat> concert, in a sense, of this awe-inspiring picture of God's glory. Wheels that move perfectly in order. Flashing thunderbolts, sparkling jewels, the light, the magnificent sounds. All in concert, picturing the glory of God. We do not understand today the glory of God. 
we've diminished it so much, especially some of these false teachers that just drive you nuts. They don't understand the glory of God. MacArthur said about this vision, he said, quote, What you're really looking at is the sovereignty of God, his majesty, his glory, the wonderful beauty of his heaven, the order, the symmetry, the perfection of it, all pictured in the wheels that move perfectly in order in concert with one another. The flashing thunderbolts, the sparkling jewels, the light, all picturing God's glory. That's the picture of heaven. It's beyond our ability to understand it. It is inconceivable to us. The majesty, the wonder, the symmetry, the order of heaven. That's how he described it. And then notice what happened to Ezekiel. What did he do? When I saw it, I fell on my face. I fell on my face. And I think that he couldn't get to the ground fast enough. Every time I read in Scripture of a person's direct encounter with God and their subsequent response to that encounter, you see the same thing. I stop and reflect on how they responded. Moses the burning bush in Exodus 3. How did Moses respond? What did Isaiah do in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw it? When John was on the island of Patmos in Revelation 1. Ezekiel here uh, in Ezekiel 1. They all responded in a similar fashion. They fell on their face. They dropped as a dead man. And when you compare that to the so-called visions of cult leaders... Joseph Smith, Muhammad, and you could go on. There's no comparison. There's no similarities to any biblical record of how they responded. Ezekiel's reaction was 180 degrees different from those who claim who have gone to heaven today. It's not even remotely close. Whenever a person is shown the glory of God, really they realize their total humiliation and weakness before an almighty, sovereign God. Those who have a different reaction, it's a different spirit that visited those people. Whether coming from the world's cults or from the current day writers who claim to have gone to heaven, the spirit of this world, they're demonic spirits doing whatever they can do to thwart God's truth. And I know some people might not like that statement, but it's true. It's just not comparison. He's, well, I went and Jesus came and he had blue eyes and blonde hair and rode a Harley. Uh, no. <laughs> no. It's just, it's just it's insanity. Now we have a little more information about the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 4 with John. Again, I can't get that page turned on the, on the uh, screen. Revelation 4, 1 to 11. This is the Apostle John. And you'll notice some similarities between what he's trying to describe and what Ezekiel described. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. 
And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance, again we have the appearance and the likeness and those types of things, of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And seated on the throne were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. I have never seen one of those. And around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes front in front and behind. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second creature like an ox. The third living creature like the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and in who is to come. And we can stop right there for time, but you can keep on going through, read through verse 11. So this picks up where Ezekiel kind of left off. Here John mentions the throne over and over the throne is the, vo- is the focal point of God's presence. The description God, John gives is very much like Ezekiel's. Like is used again and it's used frequently. Verse 3. <clears throat> he was sitting was like a jasper stone. Now jasper is an opaque stone that can have practically any color stemming from the mineral content of the original sediments or ash. It can be very beautiful. Jasper actually means spotted or speckled stone. And it was a favorite gem of the ancient world. We, so we see the flashing, sparkling, semi-opaque glory of the one sitting on the throne. Then it says, it had a sardius in appearance. Now a sardius is the semi-precious red stone. It has blood red color. It's also called a carnelian. In your version, you might have sardius, you might have carnelian. Same thing. It's called sardius from where it comes from, which is sardius in Asia Minor. The color can vary a lot from a pale orange to an almost black coloration. The jasper and the sardius, interestingly, were the first and the last of the 12 stones that were on the breastplate of the high priest that we see in Ezekiel 28. The first stone was the jasper, and the last stone was the sardius. And they characterized Reuben, who is the oldest, down to Benjamin, who is the youngest of the sons of Jacob. So this depicts God as embracing all of Israel. The Sardius could be representing God as our Redeemer, having provided a blood sacrifice. So in this Sardius-like element, Sardius-like element, we see the glory of God sparkling, the sparkling of his majesty and glory. 
the grace and mercy of his redemption. Then it says there is a rainbow around the throne. Ezekiel mentioned a rainbow, trying to describe the indescribable. I bet that these were the most complete, most beautiful rainbows that anybody has ever seen. And they weren't used the way the rainbow has been captured by the satanic forces of today. Going to verse 5. From the throne there are flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Now if you remember back to Mount Sinai, when God came down to the mountain to give the law, what happened there? Thunder, lightning, flashing of thunder and, 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 and flashing. In the presence of God, there is flashing, there is thunder and sparkling the multiplicity of colors in rainbows. Verse 5, it says again, And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, there are not seven holy spirits. Okay? Some person might try to do something stupid and say that. This is referring to the sevenfold spirit, and we see that in Isaiah chapter 11. The character of the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord from Isaiah 11. In verse 6, it says, Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. We just saw in these descriptions around God's throne colors are everywhere. A rainbow, an emerald, a sardius, a jasper. And look at the foot of the throne is a sea of crystal. MacArthur said and splashing off that crystal is the color, the splendor, the majesty of God reflecting the glory of the throne of God. To repeat, what both Ezekiel and John witnessed were not necessarily emeralds or crystal or sardius. They were like those items. Were they? We don't know. They're like those. I have a feeling that what they saw far exceeded the beauty and the splendor of the emeralds and the sardius and the crystal. This is just as close as they could come. They did what they could, but the brilliance far exceeded their ability to communicate. Quite a sight. We haven't ever seen anything like that. This is God's throne in heaven, and it is a real physical place. God is really there. He appears like something that we have described. Yes, God is spirit. We cannot see the form of God, but heaven is a place. And in heaven is a throne that displays this displays the glory of God. On God's throne is a light flashing and sparkling, and beneath the throne is a crystal clear, brilliant, sparkling sea of glass. 
At one point, it's described as a sapphire because of the colors coming off of it. Another point, it's described as clear because it is clear and it picks up the color that sparkles from the presence of the one on the throne. It's incredible. Ezekiel describes that floor on which the throne of God rests back in verse 22 of Ezekiel 1 as the color of dazzling crystal. (coughs) It says, Over the heads of the living creatures there was a likeness of an expanse, shining like awesome inspiring crystal, the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. It's not a small room. It spreads out across the expanse above their heads. How big is it? I have no idea. But it's bigger than 18 by 24, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I can't help but compare this with the so-called experiences of people who have claimed to have been in heaven for a short period of time, then come back to tell us about it and write books about it. One thing for certain, once we look at those experiences, we know they're not even close to the glory that's described in the Bible. For example, Carlton Burpo. And we could go to lots of examples. I don't want to bore you all the time, but just just for reference. A 12-year-old Nebraska boy who appeared on the Today Show to talk about the vivid details of his visit to heaven amid treatment for a life-threatening medical condition. That happened several years before. Carlton Burpo's story, complete with sitting on Jesus' lap, hearing angels sing, talking to late family members, and more. Carlton's parents believe his tales from heaven to be true and believe that God gave him that experience to bless the life of others. He recognized his great-grandfather, his miscarried baby sister, both of whom he said he didn't know anything about. Among the angels in heaven, his parents said, the boy described God as a, quote, very big man, and Jesus having a, quote, rough but kind face, sea blue eyes, and a smile that lit up the heavens, unquote. Now compare that to what we're just reading about the throne of God. And lots of similar examples are coming in all the time. They all fall woefully short in their description of heaven and the throne of God. But people still buy their junk. These books sell in the millions. No, Jesus doesn't ride a Harley when he has time. (laughs) No, there's not a chocolate house in heaven that little kids go eat. And after they eat the walls, the walls grow back. Well, somebody said that. I don't make that stuff up. I couldn't. (laughs) No, God doesn't go to a guy and ask for his opinion on a matter and then seemingly change his mind based on that person's answer. No, children do not age three times faster in heaven until they get to age 33 when all aging stops. These are the kind of things that people come out with. And we have this awe-inspiring, incredible vision of heaven and people try to replace it with garbage. You will never see a so-called vision to heaven 
today line up with Ezekiel and John. Why? Because they're not going there. So what do we know about the throne of God in heaven? We are going to witness the flashing and the sparkling and the bouncing of God's glory off a crystal sea. And Ezekiel says that it stretches across the sky. It's huge. Kind of makes you want to go look at it. It's going to be incredible. In ancient cities, there were two major buildings in ancient cities. One was a place, the palace for the king, and the other one was a temple for their deity. They would usually have a palace and a temple. Sometimes, or most of the time, they were in the middle of the city, and the king was the place where, you know, he was ruler, and their temple is where their god was worshipped. So in heaven, what we have here is the throne of God. God is the majestic sovereign, and this is also the temple where God is. It's the same thing, the throne and the temple. Go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 15. It says, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. So they throw throne and temples together. You don't have these two, two elements. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Revelation eleven nineteen. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. That's the same one. I've got a bad one there. I'll have to go to Revelation 7, 19, 11, 19 because I've got a typo in my notes here. The first one was 7.15. Revelation 11.19 says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and heavenly hail. I don't know what heavenly hail is. Scott, do you know? Nope. It'd be fun to see, though. Heavy hail? Heavy hail, yes. Sorry. My glasses were... Won't need these. Won't need these there. Oh, by the way, if you ever go to a faith healer who wears glasses, go somewhere else. Um, <laughs> Revelation twenty-one twenty-two. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun nor moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light. And we'll talk about that more next week. And his lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations so in heaven you cannot separate the temple from God God is the temple in the holy city the new Jerusalem we're going to talk about next week 
There is no temple but God. So, in a sense, there is a temple, but there isn't a temple. It's not a physical temple like we think. God is the temple. When it says we will serve in his temple, in Revelation uh, 21, that means we're going to serve in God's presence. Think about that for a while. Serving in God's presence. Now, what we have just looked at, it's overwhelming. You can read this thing and read it and read it and read it. It's overwhelming. The throne of God, the temple of God in heaven are tough to imagine even after we read it and even after we see how it's explained by others who were privileged to glimpse at it for a moment. And then we think about what we stated at the very first. The moment you leave this life as a Christian, in a twinkle, you're in the presence of God. There's no limbo. There's no purgatory. And this will cover more in more detail, probably week seven. There's no place to wait. We go immediately into the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And then Paul wrote in Philippians 1.23, My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. Now, what we've described here today is just the throne of God. This is not the new heaven. It's in there. This, the throne is there. But being in the presence of God is there. Next week, we will talk more about the new heaven and the earth and the new earth. But I had to ask myself, and we need to ask ourselves, what is my heart's desire? Am I hanging on to the things of this earth, this world, making them my focus and my goal? A lot of people are. Then I had to think, let's, let's stop doing that silly stuff and focus on the eternal. Focus on God and serving Him. Because this is going to come up, you know, for some of us a whole lot faster than others. Like the doctor that uh, Kitty had. There's no guarantee that all of us are going to be alive next week. Even the healthy ones. You might think, well, I'm healthy. I'm not like, no, that guy was healthy too. Boom. But if you're a believer, we get our focus right while we're here, we can look at some of these things and go, what is waiting for us is beyond what we can imagine or think. And then I think of the words of that song that we played earlier. You know, when he shall come transplendent, I'm sorry, I got my tank tongled, in his glory, to walk with him in white, to serve God in his presence in that environment. Pretty incredible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise of heaven.